0: that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. This is our second video culmination podcast. If you're listening in the car, please default to audio. I don't want to have any responsibility for any untoward road behavior today. Alom Bukhari uh, is going to be, and is our guest. You can see him sitting right there this is a guy who he's writing about my entire life i'm just looking at the articles here and it's all it, it's it's just all the stuff that we're living with today's well 14 hours ago donald trump to sue masters of the universe jack dorsey and mark zuckerberg we're gonna have to talk about that because he did the press conference today this is being recorded of course on the uh, on the seventh on on wednesday um uh, Florida Rep. Anthony Sabatini. Anyway, Alom is a an investigative journalist for Breitbart, Claremont Institute Lincoln Fellow, not to be confused with the Lincoln Project.
1: Definitely not. They're uh, very different things.
0: <laughs> and thank you very much for joining us and agreeing to um, spend a little bit of time talking about these topics of mutual interest. As you know, my focus is on. I think what the book you just wrote which is the um
1: yes deleted deleted big text to erase the trump movement and steal the election which uh, i published in september and then a few months later it comes true
0: imagine it's like being a screenwriter for 1984. <laughs> in- so I, we may as well start out with the news Yep. I mean, the interesting thing about my podcast, and I'm sure you've assiduously listened to all the are all, the, all. it seems as if I'm having the, you know, it's a narrow topic, but it's everything.
1: It is everything. It, it's, it's affecting every area of our lives. You can imagine a future in which your, uh, your smart refrigerator won't let you access your groceries because uh, you, know, you misgendered someone on Twitter. <laughs> this is uh, you, you, there are endless material for dystopian writers at the moment. But yep, hopefully hopefully one of these lawsuits turn them around, but I don't I don't really have high hopes for that.
0: Well, I don't I have some high hopes for some, for the, for my lawsuits, but for the one that was filed today or announced today, I assume it was filed by President Trump. I would be surprised if too many people have very high hopes for that one. Yes, I, I do that, think.
1: And that's the one I was specifically referring to, <laughs> just, just, just so we're clear. Um, it seems like this this lawsuit like seems to follow the same lines as other lawsuits that have failed. Um, and it's not really the, you know, the fault of the lawyers or the arguments they're making. It's the fault of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And Florida, I think, dropping the ball on doing a, a better tech law um, uh, in their state because Trump uh, Trump is a Florida resident. If they had a strong tech law, uh, his lawyers could have taken advantage of that, but they don't. Most of it got struck down by this federal judge. They could have done common carrier or public accommodation, and they didn't. Just for common, common carrier and public accommodation are types of businesses that are very much restricted in who they can or cannot deny service to. And it's perfectly within the jurisdiction of states like Florida to, you know, categorize businesses as such. But unfortunately, they do not do that in their tech bill. Um, So, yeah, I think this Trump, uh, you know, bottom line is I think this Trump lawsuit uh, is probably not going to be successful. Obviously, it'd be great if it was. Um, I do think it'll have a lot more uh, weight when it goes before the Supreme Court because, you know, this is a... um, not just a random uh, person filing the lawsuit as a former president of the United States who was censored while he was the president of the United States. And that's important because, you know, he's a public official. And there have been lawsuits in the past that said, you know, people need to have access to the Twitter feeds of public officials. So we'll see how that plays into it. But um, uh, my, you know, uh, black-pilled pessimistic prediction is that it'll get shot down on 230 rounds.
0: I think, actually, it'll get shot down on um let me just you were you were clear so that i'm also clear i represent donald trump my friend represents donald trump not in this not in that case i think it's more likely that a judge will be it's a class action okay class action lawsuits have a very specific requirements that are usually the first thing that's litigated before there's even a, a motion to dismiss. There's usually a motion to, there's usually a motion to challenge class certification. And that's what it comes down to. Here, frequently on, on Twitter, I spend some time on Twitter. Um, people ask, people seem to be obsessed with this idea of class actions. Can we do a class, Ron, can we do a class? And the answer is almost always no. And the main reason the answer is almost always no is that the harm suffered by all members of a class has to be more or less the same. Everybody was deprived, everyone paid too much for this toaster. Everyone who bought this kind of tire experienced the same repair costs, et cetera, et cetera. Many people who have been um, censored by Twitter have gone on to happy and productive lives. And in fact, perhaps it's saved some of their lives. Other people have lost millions in income and and, and career opportunities. And the idea that the president would be the lead, would be the, 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 the class representative is Let's just say fascinating, because his damages as a result of social media um, censorship are surely unique in the entire universe. <laughs> so a judge might not even have to get involved with the Section Two Thirty issues, um, and I haven't seen the complaint to uh, to to get to, to deal with the class action issues first. You know. I don't know if you have any experience.
1: Yeah, in, that it. that makes sense. You know, I, I'll, I'll defer to your expertise on this. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, and you know, you and uh, and the Dylan Law Group have done you know, incredible work, pioneering work on on the tech right. issue. I remember the uh, uh, the lawsuits you filed against the tech companies, the uh, the massive one against Google. Uh, so much material came out of that one; that was incredible. But uh, yeah, you you. you you know the difficulties of these cases better than uh, better than anyone.
0: Um, they are they are they are and I think you, you pointed out some you made your point about the Florida law was very important also because um Florida could have put this and obviously there must have been political reasons why they didn't and I see that you you know you, you have asked repeatedly why why didn't they pass the statute that would do the job as opposed to What they did, which was, and and plus the carve out for Disney, uh, uh, you know, as I understand it.
1: Yeah, it it was perplexing because Texas, uh, of all the states, you know, Abbott's criticized for being a cuck all the time, uh, certainly uh, more so than DeSantis. And yet the Texas bill, which by the way has not passed yet, not because of the Republicans, I would say, but because the Democrats walked out of the last session prematurely, but the uh, the law they have, uh, they're proposing there, uh, SB 12. That does regulate the tech companies like common carriers, so there's no reason not to just, you know, copy that one in Florida.
0: And, and obviously, that would be challenged, but at least now you're you're having a different challenge from the one that's been going on all along. I have written a couple of pieces arguing that what the tech companies do to users is a deceptive practice and that the existing law of consumer protection both the federal trade commission act um, as well as the what are called the little ftc acts of the various states which are slide variations of the ftc act are actually sufficient to deal with with these violations that it is a when you induce someone to come onto a social media platform and say you know spend a lot of time here give us a lot of content look at all these all this great stuff we're going to give you a blue check we're gonna you know power users and all and you provide value to them and like a lot of judges get hung up on this idea that well, you're not paying anything for it, so they have a right to screw you,
1: right? And that's not true because you are paying in your personal data. I mean, I, I feel your personal that's
0: data. Well, data. I mean, there's well, data is, is how you're looking at it as a technologist. But yeah, it is an investment of. It's reduced to data, but it's an investment of time, personality, reputation, you know, all kinds of resources and goodwill. And I'm. It's not only my data by virtue of my being on Twitter, who knows how many hundreds or thousands of other people are either on Twitter who otherwise wouldn't be or who are spending more time on Twitter who would not be spending that time. So I'm giving to to them, I'm the product.
1: Yes. as they say, right? Yeah, and social networks are built on those kind of network effects. I mean, when social networks uh, go, for, go for new rounds of funding, they, the, the biggest question is your monthly active users. How many people do you have active on your platform every month? The, uh, so your usage of the platform is giving, giving value to Twitter, giving value to Facebook, allowing them to go and get more funding.
0: Now, Section 230 has two primary... Um, privileges that it grants to internet service providers, which I will tell you as an early adopter, not from, not the earliest possible adopter, but a pretty early adopter, you know, on the internet in the nineties. And I remember when, when uh, Section 230 was passed, I was astonished that courts were finding that companies such as, you know, in those days, like, you know, was it CompuServe, uh, you know, the early platforms were being treated as internet service providers. It, it, my impression had been reading the legislation. And I know that there are many people who have sworn on a stack of Bibles that I'm wrong about this because they were there at the founding. And this is what it was. But I thought of bulletin boards and I thought beyond, you know, not upstream, but not downstream, but upstream internet server providers, a server farm, someone who basically provides um, logistical or, uh, you know, um, functionality more than, because I used to work in the area of trademark enforcement. And we were always looking, and this is something that a lot of people don't understand. I'm not saying that you don't. (laughs) You're always looking in economics for, the deep pocket and the problem with counterfeiting and when online counterfeiting started in particular, is you, you can always find the people who are selling the stuff, but what you want to find is the people who are, who are making it. And if you can't find that, you want to get the people who are distributing it. So we were very busy in the, uh, in in the, um, international anti counterfeiting coalition. Um, trying to figure out could we stick the credit card companies with liability and ebay was was the flavor of the month then can we stick ebay with liability in the tiffany case i thought was very poorly reasoned because it, it, it took this ridiculous approach which said it would really it would really cost a lot of money for ebay to to regulate um counterfeits and that would be bad for their business
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the section two is just a massive, massive gift to the tech companies, and you can the way it's written, you can sort of see the justification for it. And much of it is much of it is good. I think the li- my opinion is the liability protection part of it is actually not that. It, you you could argue it's a little extreme, but it's actually not that bad because it allowed free speech to flourish on the internet. The problem is it also allowed um, unchecked censorship, and that's been that's been te- uh, tested in court. It doesn't doesn't it doesn't it doesn't take away the shield from platforms that behave like publishers. And uh, to go back to what you were saying earlier, the uh, false false advertising, deceptive trade practices. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned CompuServe. I, I get into this in my in, in my book. Like the World Wide Web was, it took off because of this idealistic vision that was a response to walled gardens like CompuServe. Um, I think like a lot of younger listeners probably won't know that, you know, CompuServe was like its own internet before the, uh, the World Wide Web of browsers and Internet Explorer and Mozilla even existed. It was this online network all on its own. And you know, it, was tight, it was like a, a Facebook. It was tightly regulated in what you couldn't, could, not, could not say. You couldn't just throw up your own website. It wasn't decentralized. It was very, very centralized. And the World Wide Web, as we know it today, with websites and search engines and all of these services, was created as the decentralized response to that. So the fact that it's being taken over by all of these companies who are now behaving exactly the same way that CompuServe behaved uh, is just a complete reversal of the uh, the ideals on which the uh, the web was founded and the ideals which the tech companies Twitter, Facebook, and Google and YouTube subscribed to and advertised in their early stages. They advertised themselves as open platforms,
0: and, I th- and, the, and the incredible cynicism of people who are involved in that in the messaging on that. To pretend otherwise, you know, we would have no internet today if it were. Okay, all right, maybe that is kind of true, but look at the internet we have today. I mean, is this the only possible way that we can run things? Yeah. Let's take a step back.
1: Yeah, no, it is CompuServe, it is AOL, it's exactly, uh, it's it's gone exactly back to the uh, the point that the the uh, the problem that the internet that that the World Wide Web, I should say. Um, was uh, created to solve. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you get these ridiculous post hoc explanations like Jack Dorsey saying that um, when Twitter VPs were calling Twitter the free speech wing of the free speech party, which the then CEO of Twitter endorsed, that that was just a joke. Well, then why did the then CEO endorse it? And, you know, Google admitted to this. So I, I, I uh, we, we saw this. We saw the red, the smoking gun document. I obtained this from a Google whistleblower back in 2018. It's called the Good Censor. 80 pages explaining how, um, from published by Google's own researchers, their own internal research team. 80 pages explaining how the internet and Google and Twitter and Facebook have, quote unquote, shifted towards censorship. That's there. That's Google's words saying they shifted towards censorship. Google's and this document also said that you know the internet, the World Wide Web, Silicon Valley companies were founded on the ideals of free speech, and they've shifted towards censorship. So they've admitted that they promised this vast expanse of unfettered freedom of expression to their users and then went back on it. They'd read an official document from Google admitting to it.
0: So right, so that is a sort of a deceptive practice in and of itself. So in other words, you, you're you saying not only are you deceiving consumer by consumer on that investment point that I made, but also just the entire premise of the enterprise. I just want to focus a little bit though on section 230 because as you point out, there was this there was this liability uh, shield yeah. in section C1, which basically says, and this again goes to our deep pockets issue in, in intellectual property. If someone torts you, someone commits a tort against you, pretty much defamation is what we're talking about on your platform. We're going to treat you like a platform and not like a publisher because otherwise no tweets you're going to ever get, there won't be any tweets because someone's going to be vetting things all the time. It'll just be what the New York Times or New York New Yorker magazine wants us to think they are right but what everyone misses is that section subsection C2 of section 230 says that no provider and this is really where they're hanging their hats not on C1 and everyone's obsessed with this publisher and a, um a platform, a platform distinction it's, it's irrelevant because the censorship problem is it's not. In, it's in
1: C two. Yeah, C two is like the bad
0: part of Section two thirty. That's what needs to be get uh, needs to be get rid of. Well, but listen. But well, tell me what's bad about it. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict to to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd. Lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable—that's probably the part that, yes, whether exactly. or not such material is constitutionally con- protected. So that sounds like we can we can deplatform you. But but listen, any action voluntarily taken in good faith—that
1: is a problem for them, isn't it? Good faith—it
0: it hasn't been tested yet, and I haven't found the case yet where I can test it Uh, because. There's always something else going on, but we're so past the ability the point of of proving good faith or proving bad faith. you know the the stack of of, of um, exhibits you could show up with in court if we were still using paper to demonstrate all the the imbalances, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, just
1: just in the past uh, couple of weeks, I've seen uh, people openly calling for, you know, more churches to be burned down in Canada. They've got this epidemic of church arson going on over there. Uh, you know, openly posting that on Twitter, and there's almost no proactive action on Twitter's part to take uh, any of that
0: down. Now, I, see, there, there could be something that will be achieved. See, I just listened to, to a little bit of the um, former president's press conference and he sounded like a person who had a degree of faith in the judiciary to right wrongs and to uh, consider itself the writer of wrongs that i don't think he even really is he described i think a a legislative problem a problem with the law right not a problem with how the law is being enforced. Although I do think many judges are defaulting to, I mean, it, it, I had a case where I was representing Laura Loomer in that same court, the Southern District of Florida, and a Trump-appointed judge, besides finding that Florida law, pro, it was a, a, a claim against the Committee for Arab uh, for American Isla- Islamic Relations care, and we were claiming that they tortuously interfered with Laura's ability to make a oh, living. Oh yes, I, I I remember
1: that case actually. Yeah, that was a, that was a big one, and you know they, unquest- they un- I think they unquestionably did. I mean, it, it,
0: unquestionably right. So, so but, but Florida law happens to be kind of dicey with. Yeah, the the, the, the um, precision with which you need to identify the interest, inter- the economic expectancy interfered with. And first of all, the judge said, "You're there's no business, there's no commercial relationship between her and Twitter." I said, "That's funny. I think there's a term. I think there's a, I think there's a terms of uh, terms of use that 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 Twitter would consider to be binding on Laura Loomer's." I mean, it, it's preposterous to say there's no business relationship.
1: Yeah, Trump appointed judge said
0: this. Yeah, and no, I'm going to get to that in a second. There, yeah. He also went on to say, as an alternative ground, I also hold, and even Eric Goldman, who is the Google Google professor, over at, at uh, Santa is it Santa Clara Law School, very very bright guy, but who was really bought into the this point of view that anything, you know, Section 230 is this icon. Even he was astonished that this judge said Section 230 is also meant to basically be this freedom for platforms, internet service providers to do whatever they have to do to not be liable for anything. And even though it doesn't protect under its terms, third parties, in other words, care is not an internet service provider right he said he said it would still be applicable to care because things that's okay? just
1: bizarre care is protected from section 230 that's yeah, so strange yeah. um, e-
0: even even eric even oh eric God, I,
1: I, I have a question for you and i think uh has made this argument in, in cases herself that in, in a sense what happens when the platform itself i, I understand like you know Uh, It's perfectly reasonable for a platform not to be held liable for defamatory statements posted by users, but in some cases, the platform itself is now defaming people by saying, uh, you're hateful, you're racist, uh, you're a dangerous extremist, et cetera, et cetera, all these categories they have. So in that case, the platform itself is doing it. So how, how can Section 230 possibly protect that?
0: Well, right. So, so, so Laura... Did file those cases against Facebook, which deemed her to be a um, right a dangerous person. Yes, and and I th- I think she she wasn't the right I mean, that wasn't one of my cases. I don't think she was the right person. Which for by, the that way, case. By, by the way, by the way, it
1: it it's insane how people how you know this this you know this word dangerous and these words like extremist are being manipulated at the moment. That to cover absolutely safe. I don't feel safe. Don't feel I read safe, this? Yes.
0: I, I was listening to Ron Coleman's podcast, and I didn't feel safe.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, we used to laugh at the social justice warriors on college campuses back in 2014 and 2015, when they all had Tumblr blogs and were posting on Reddit. Well, you know, now they're now running they're policy at the most powerful tech companies on the planet, we where we're left dealing with the results.
0: The laugh is on us, um, but I, when I say the Laura wasn't the right person to bring it, I don't mean unlike many of the people on the on the left and among libertarians who seem to believe that if you're a bad person or a person they don't like you're not entitled to this like the I the old idea of neutral principles of law that we should defend the nazi's right to march and skokie is out the window yeah if you're a racist if you're even white i guess you you know you're not entitled to those sorts of rights but i what i meant is that Laura was sort of in those cases asking the court to say that there's an implication by the fact that I was banned by virtue of being dangerous, that I'm dangerous. And e- even if being dangerous is, is something more than just an opinion, which it may and may not be in this rhetorically charged environment, it's a number of steps that a judge is not going to want to take in this environment. But I, on the other hand, we uh, we filed suit in California on behalf of um, Brendan O'Handley, a uh, DC Drano. For, oh, I'm sorry, that's the government action one. I'm sorry. We filed here on the East Coast. We filed. We we sued Twitter in New York on behalf of uh, James O'Keefe. I'm getting my O's. My Right, got, uh, last you, do you, do you got, uh, too, name.
1: Too, but too many uh, lawsuits against the tech companies. friends. <laughs> yes,
0: um, where they told reporters that James had been right. They they banned him, and then they said the reason they banned him was that he was um, using multiple m- multiple fake accounts. Right, when in fact. That's not the case. He wasn't using multiple fake accounts and he can prove it. Of course. So, so section 230 should not help there because now they're just a company defaming us, a person who's not even a customer anymore.
1: Yeah. And one of their biggest critics, you know, a guy who's exposed them time and time again. I mean, not only that, it was the
0: same day. It was the same day that Project Veritas had tweeted criticism. It's, it's, um secret camera recordings about a CNN t- uh, um, producer uh, acknowledging the kind of bias that is not necessarily all that shocking. But it, the coincidence was, you know, impossible to, yeah. to ignore.
1: And I think that's, that's, that's like a deeper question here, isn't it? Because you know, the, the abuses are so blatant and so in your face and so excessive, you know, banning a sitting president Uh, banning a journalist who's criticizing your own company and publishing stories about your own company, Uh, banning politicians, political candidates like Laura Loomer, censoring political discussions, censoring news stories. The fact that the the, the, uh, judiciary hasn't been able to deal with this, that Congress hasn't been able to deal with this, that the administration under Trump wasn't able to deal with this, there's, there's a deeper question like how... Like, is the American system capable of actually dealing with this
0: problem? It certainly hasn't dealt with it so far. It, it and it, it is capable of it, but the will is not there. Uh, ironically, half of the political establishment believes very firmly that this distortion of discourse and commerce is working in their favor, and therefore, it's OK.
1: They don't think it's working in their favor en- uh, enough. Uh, certainly, the, uh, the media companies think this. They've been pressuring Congress to pass this bill called the uh, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, really probably the worst bill I've seen come out of this Democrat Congress. And what it essentially would do, uh, and by the way, it's not just left-wing media companies involved in this, News Corp's a big part of it as well. What the bill essentially would do is give the power of law to what the tech companies have been, and me- media companies have been doing for the past four years, which is the former favoring the latter by boosting them in their algorithm, by, uh, by paying them directly, uh, by allowing media companies to form a cartel, it's gonna give them an uh, antitrust exemption to form a cartel for the sole purpose of pressuring tech companies special favors, and that really shows you what they're after they want control of the narrative they want to be the top search results on every one of these platforms and they want the platforms to pay them to prop up their failing business model and this is, is separate the, because no one trusts them
0: right and, and, and then that's and that is separate from their own their own efforts without legislative help to target up-and-coming competitors it was about a year ago that they went all in on oan and they they focused on um on jack masovic who was there at the time they couldn't get anything on him and also the management there stood up with a little bit of spine and you know they they weren't impressed by that but it's a given you know they have entirely demonized and to some extent co-opted Fox with a couple of notable exceptions OAN and Newsmax and other up-and-coming outlets are under pressure. Like they don't, you know, the kind of things you think of someone like Jeffrey Tubin, okay? Yeah. Gets his job back on CNN, no problem. You know, all these people who have the the the, the seamiest lives and who have been caught saying the most inappropriate things, all is forgiven. But the cons- relatively conservative, just the news. Um, Epic Times, the relatively reality conservative um, and, and, and Project Veritas, journalistic news and information competitors of the companies that are seeking additional privileges, can't hire anyone who ever jaywalked, you know, at three in the morning in Minneapolis because you know it's going to be a whole demonstration.
1: Yeah, and you know, this just like, it underscores the fact that you know, one side in America has all the powerful institutions and the other does not. And this is exactly what happens. You can't expect any other result. The only thing conservatives can do right now, I think, is, uh, and they're not doing this, of course, is simply stick together and stop, uh, stop constantly attacking people uh, to the right. Because even if, you, even if you disagree with the people on your right, uh, that there are a thousand people on your left who are get, probably getting away with much, much worse because they have all these powerful institutions on their and side. I,
0: and I also think, though, that the sort of monoparty, establishment, monolithic, corporate, techno, financial thing yeah, that that has all that power,
1: the cathedral, as some set sort of call it
0: the cathedral. Yes, that's something um, Michael Malice likes to uh, a term he likes to use. Although it goes it goes back further than Michael Malice. I think there's a growing perception among many people that they're not us. That um, they're one, you know, uh, we're not them, and they're not us, and it is not. Being created for the benefit of anyone but the people who run it yeah and their offspring and there's a there's a, a, a different level of alienation not just the polarization that we're seeing between this sides in the cultural in the culture war but there's a deep-running mistrust and distrust of government and big institutions now the cities are, are especially the, the, the major cities, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, they're going to hell. They're absolutely going to hell. Yeah. Everyone's and I in the red States. I do think there's a point where this stuff starts to feedback, even though we think that it's, that it's this tightly sealed system, that it's a closed system. And the more, power they get the more power they keep it doesn't really work that way maybe i'm just a cockeyed optimist but a few friends a, a number of people and I, i'm sure you have an opinion on this i thought that the GameStop moment earlier this year was a fantastic reminder of just how many surprises there can be in store for the cathedral
1: that's true and it certainly uh it certainly uh, it, it um There are two things that uh, stood out to me. One is that uh, the uh, positive thing is that um, many people who are not that political suddenly got a glimpse of how corrupt the system is. Uh, That was one big thing. The other big thing is, uh, again, despite all the internet censorship, despite the censorship of all these platforms, it's still possible for these massive movements to come out of left field and surprise the establishment. Uh, They haven't been able to get rid of that. They have made it much more difficult by censoring platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And, uh, and YouTube and stopping uh, people to ha- stopping you know conservatives from having the kind of viral energy they had in 2016, but they can't get rid of it completely. The internet's still there fundamentally. Um, although uh, you know you can't understate the damage that's been done either. I mean, if you look at the uh, the stats for conservative websites in uh, in 2016, uh, Breitbart News, uh, many other conservative websites, the Daily Caller, the Gateway Pundit, soaring. Uh, you look at the uh, the Google numbers, and virtually, uh, virtually, z- virtually zero in 2020 compared to I think it was like a, something like a 99% reduction for Breitbart use alone, and similar numbers for other conservative websites in 2020 compared to 2016. And that's entirely artificial. That's entirely on Google's part, not due to a decline in traffic on our part.
0: And yet we're living in a world where judges says the, fu- the it's, it's mind-boggling to me that, that you see this written in opinions there's no no monop you can't say google has a monopoly because you could do a search on on bing
1: right <laughs> uh it doesn't work that but, way so this I- is
0: a ge- this is a generation of judges who grew up or came to or came of age after the great antitrust era which was ending when I came into the legal profession. Very few of them really have a grip on it. They will take any opportunity they can to dismiss an antitrust claim on the grounds of market definition. And they don't really understand, or they pretend not to understand. I'm going to give them every benefit of the doubt because they're my bosses. Um, but mostly because I really do think they, they really, most of them, believe it or not, most of them want to do the right thing. That market, the the fact that you can posit an alternative to Google doesn't mean that Google is not involved in anti-competitive practices and that it doesn't dominate the market and that there aren't network effects as well as all, you know, the whole issue with the FTC, uh, you know, the, the transact, you know, the the acquisitions and mergers, so much going, so many moving parts here. And we've only just started talking, you and I, this is our introduction, right? (laughs) yeah we're uh 45 minutes in already long 45 minutes in and I don't I don't ask my guests or my listeners to to hang on for much more than that so I really I appreciate your this is really to me was just like two like-minded people just fetching about all the stuff is there anything you're working on that you could you know tell us about that maybe people aren't paying attention to as opposed to the stuff that everyone's paying attention to that they want us to pay attention to but well, you really one thing I haven't
1: uh, written any stories about yet, but I probably will in the near future, is all the stuff that's going on in the alternative tech world. Obviously, we've seen a bunch of, you know, pretty shoddy platforms, you know, thrown up that are basically clones of Twitter. But I'm uh, very interested in uh, the stuff that's going on uh, currently in development, especially uh, anonymous platforms. I think there's a lot of room to innovate in anonymous platforms, you know, because we haven't seen any, any innovation there since Reddit. Well, uh,
0: there's anonymity and portability. I think are the are where people are focusing. Is this idea that you can get up and walk away, not only with your data, but with your network in some fashion, as if it were sort of modular. And some of the people that I've been talking to about this,
1: yes, and your content, and that's very important. So hopefully, we'll see more progress there.
0: Yeah. Now, my only problem with this discussion is. Gosh, aren't we proving that there really isn't, maybe there isn't a monopoly, right? Mm. Maybe, answer to that, you don't wait until 10 years of damage is done to businesses and to the social fabric and to, people can't even get bank accounts. People can't get bank accounts because of what a few people in Silicon Valley decide or Beijing maybe, or Qatar, Qatar as they say. That's not how it's supposed to work. Antitrust injury takes place when it takes place. You don't wait. Yes, the market isn't instantaneous. The, the, the invisible hand takes some time. But the network effects that are in place now are going to be so difficult to unwind that it was one thing when you had this vertical integration with, you know, Ford Motor Company, where they were buying sheep so that they could have wool for the seats in the in the Model Ts. Okay things moved at a glacial pace in those days so but so if you waited 20 or 30 years before you started looking at market shares you could you could unwind things you could you could set up you know you could break up companies now the damage is being done as i said not only economically and not only to competition but to the social and consumer welfare no one's doing anything about it and if the trump if the trump lawsuit at least shakes up some judge somewhere and how they're going to get past the form selection clause here i'm not exactly clear but if it ends up that at least as you said in the very beginning because donald trump is donald trump that judges will be a little bit more careful before they they write silly things by the way i have no reason to think they will i mean think of think of what the the dc circuit did to general flynn oh yeah Mm. shamelessly shamelessly yeah so i don't think there really is any embarrassment when they when they want to go there they're gonna go
1: there it's hard to be optimistic when the system is so colossally uh uh effed i'm not sure if you're allowed to swear on this podcast but uh yes
0: yes it it is freaky crazy (laughs) alan thank you so much we're gonna i hope we have a chance to talk again and um it is really fascinating looking at your work and uh, you know, it, it, any way should we recommend that everyone should obviously should be following you on Twitter and reading you st- on Breitbart and pushing those Google numbers, uh, up so that they can then be manipulated. At least they have to do the work of manipulating them back was
1: well, great, great to be on the, uh, the podcast.
0: Thanks. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman nation podcast.